This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yeah. yes. Welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Preseason edition. We're still gearing up to the start of the 2014-2015 fantasy hockey season, and we've got a jam-packed episode for you guys today. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and of course with me is the brains of the operation, Brian Com. Just flip two letters in my name, and that's exactly what I am. Oh, Brian and Brain. Clever. Do you have that ready whenever anyone says anything about Brain? No, it's actually more frustrating. I recently had a like a letter of reference written for me, and at the bottom they called me Brain, which I kind of appreciate, but it doesn't. I don't think it reflects well on the letter itself or the state of my employment. <laughs> right. <laughs> like we mentioned last week, we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com, so I want to give a shout out to them, and we've heard from them that they will be launching a draft kit shortly which will uh, contain some positional previews with tiers in them. So like we talked about last week, they might be able to help you out in preparing the tiers for your draft. Dailyfaceoff.com. That's right. Okay, but on to this week's show. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about some players. We've been teasing it for the past few weeks where we've been talking about strategies, advanced stats, things like that. But now we're just going to get down to which players do you want to target and maybe avoid at your upcoming hockey pool. We're going to break it down into people who maybe have gained keeper status, people who have lost keeper status, and then general players who have improved, declined. Oh man, Brian, we better get started. All right, well, Elon, you know that I'm big on prognosticating rather than speculating, and I'm going to try and do that as much as I can here, but this really is one of the most speculative parts of the year before the puck has dropped. That's what draft season's all about. It's guessing which player is going to play with who, how they're going to be used, will this be a good year for them, a bad year. And we're going to try and figure that out as best we can, usually using player history. And I've said it many times before that the more years of career history we have from a player, the more we know what to expect. And we can also kind of look at what an expected career arc would be for certain players of certain types. So I just want to get that monkey off my back at the beginning of the show and say, yeah, we're going to speculate today. Okay, noted. Brian, you're off the hook. You're allowed to give your opinions today, not all completely based on fact. Because like you say, a lot of these things will be about if this player plays with this player, you can expect an increase. So okay, it is noted. We're going to try our best to prognosticate, but we might have to speculate a little. How do you want to start the show? 
Well, I think the theme for today is going to be looking at the numbers that players have put up recently and essentially judging whether they're sustainable or unsustainable over the course of the upcoming season. And the first group of players I want to look at is the players who have recently earned a new sort of elite fantasy status. They're guys that have probably been considered elite from the moment they were drafted into the NHL. And in fact, lots of poolies have probably drafted these guys early on name and upside alone. But for me, the following players hadn't yet done enough in the NHL to convince me without dispute that they would absolutely be worth either a keeper selection or a first round selection until now. So we're talking about the players who are joining the rough class, maybe the top tier or like tier 1B, along with Crosby, Ovechkin, Malkin, Stamkos, Giroux, Getzlaff, Tavares. These are the sure shot, can't miss, team on their backs kinds of players. So are you ready for the first? Oh, definitely. Yes. These are players you're saying that if they weren't considered keepers last year, they're definitely considered keepers this year. Yeah, and I think as you'll see, a lot of these players, people have already trusted with their teams. But what I'm saying here is like definitively, they, they, they've done enough now. It's not just going on name and hype and pedigree. They've done enough to convince me that, yes, I can do this. I can go all in on these guys and I'm not going to be disappointed. All right, so who do you got first? Well, the first is going to be a pair of teammates. And they are teammates on the Dallas Stars, and it's not Jason Spezza and Alice Hemsky. It is Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, who were both in the top five for points per 60 minutes at even strength last season among players who had played over 1,000 minutes. And they actually find themselves in the rankings right next to another pair of familiar fantasy teammates, Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry. So if that's not an endorsement in itself... Well, maybe it should be. And if you look back beyond last year, it wasn't a fluke. In the last three seasons combined, both Sagan and Ben are both in the top 10 for points per 60 minutes in the league, with Jamie Ben sitting third behind only... Who do you think are the top two in points per 60 minutes? Uh, well, probably Sidney Crosby and, uh, I don't know, Ovechkin? Actually, Crosby and Malkin. Jamie Benn is third behind them, so nobody else is ahead of him. The stars are at the front end of a serious Stanley Cup window, and these two guys are going to be in the driver's seat holding the keys. And if these guys do hit your fantasy draft floor... You need to grab them, and you're going to be set for a very long time, whether it's a single-year league or a keeper league. These are both players who should not slip anywhere past the first round. All right, so then, of course, that begs the question, if you could only have one, who do you take? Is it Jamie Benn? That's a tough one. On most of the measures that I was comparing them both on, Ben did come out a little ahead. So while I have like sort of this gutty, hunchy allegiance to Sagan, I think Ben is probably the rational choice if you could only have one of those two players. Hmm, it's interesting. So, you know, there's no right answer right now. It's hard to say who's the better one. But last season, if you want to look at just last season's numbers, Sagan had more goals, more assists, more shots, and more power play points in one less game. He played 80 games and Ben played 81. So... Last year, Sagan was just a little bit better, not much of a difference, but moving forward, I think, like you said, either of those guys are fantasy hockey gold. Yeah, and you know, I think the reason that I say it is my tendency towards being conservative in fantasy hockey. Jamie Benn's just been around longer. He, he was drafted in 2007, his rookie year was in 2009, as opposed to Tyler Sagan, who was drafted in 2010. 
So that just gives me a, a little bit more confidence in Jamie Benn. That's not to say that Sagan's upside is not higher, though. All right. So after Sagan and Ben, who else has gained this elite status? Matt Duchesne of the Colorado Avalanche. He's been just a smidgen less than a point-per-game player over the last couple years. And that includes his 23 goals and 47 assists for 70 points in 71 games played last year. I can keep throwing several different numbers at you, but as with other elite players who have this sort of status now, there's no way around just simply saying he's good. He gets a lot of power play time, he drives possession, he's relied on heavily by his team. He's absolutely worth a first round pick or keeper selection, and he's only 23 years old, so he's going to hang on to that status for several years to come. There are a lot of question marks surrounding Colorado this year, but Matt Duchesne is not one of them. Yeah, as soon as you mention someone from Colorado, it really makes me want to ask about other players on Colorado. Like, for example, I'll just ask one, someone like Nathan McKinnon who everyone talks about as also a huge keeper gem that you want to try to get because he's going to be a star for years to come. At this point, you would take Duchesne over McKinnon in a keeper pool draft? Well, there are two types of fantasy players, I think. There's those that salivate over getting the young gun and having that player on their roster for his first hugely productive season so they can beam and say, yeah, I made the right choice. I took a risk and it paid off. I love having this new player and being the first one to benefit from his production. And then there's the other camp, which says, I don't care how young you are or how much upside you have. I'm going to go with the more proven option. Yeah, this is kind of what I was talking about with Ben and Sagan. I think maybe it's a little bit the same as Duchesne and McKinnon, but McKinnon has only been around one year. There are sort of sophomore slump narratives, and I'm not sure how much weight exactly to put in them, but I would like to see Nathan McKinnon do what he did last year again before putting all my eggs in that basket. Right, yeah. Duchesne has definitely shown himself to be a a solid choice. And like you said, probably you're going to get a point per game out of him for many years to come. All right, and the last name on my list of players who have joined that hallowed status as sure shot keeper or first round selections. And again, it's not a surprising name, but I think he's done enough now to make me not worried anymore at all, is Taylor Hall. So if you remember all the numbers I mentioned about Ben Sagan and Duchesne, like points for 60 and power play time and whatever, all the other measures... Hall's name is always hanging around that group on any number of the statistical measures. And interestingly enough, another one is Thomas Vanek. Uh, We're not going to talk about him in this part of the show, though, because he's 30 years old, and I don't feel, in terms of keeper selection, he would be a really wise one right now. But going back to Taylor Hall, he has 130 points in 120 games played over the last two seasons, and I feel like he and the rest of the Oilers are glossed over as being part of a dysfunctional organization. But don't make that mistake, he's had a stable shooting percentage throughout all that time, and he puts a ton of shots on goal. As Edmonton gets their stuff together, he may even have more opportunities to improve on what he's already done and have better players to do it with. He's had a high pedigree since being drafted, but in my books, he's now performed at a high level for long enough that as a fantasy owner, I feel comfortable investing heavily in him if he's available in my draft. Yeah, that's a really interesting pick. And I totally agree with you with what you said about him maybe flying under people's radars. Like, I feel like we didn't really talk about him much last season, even though he put up amazing numbers over a point per game. I think he's the kind of guy who you can maybe get in the second round or third round of your draft, be it the first year of a keeper pool or just a regular starting over pool. 
And yeah, that seems like a really good, almost sleeper pick, you know, a high-end sleeper, if you consider a player who has over a point per game a sleeper. Right. And I think one of the reasons for that is there's been a knock on him for being hurt and injured frequently, but it's just not the case. He only missed seven games last year. He missed even fewer the year before. In his first two years, he missed a handful, and you wouldn't want him playing 60 or 65 games every season. But I don't know if it's quite fair to think he's hampered by injuries. He does have sort of a playing style that could lend itself to being injured. But after two fairly healthy seasons of amazing production, I wouldn't hesitate to not pick him up for that reason. All right, so I'm going to play dumb now because I know your answer to this. But Brian, you've left out a name of a player who seems so obviously to have risen to keeper status, a player who was always getting 60 points and all of a sudden last year jumped up to a point-per-game player Where's Joe Pavelski in this list? 40 goals last season. Yeah, Joe Pavelski has been a 25 or 30 goal player for most of the last five, six seasons. And sure, a lot of people, including you, are really high on him. They think he's really jumped up a step. But I'm going to read you some numbers, Elon, starting from the beginning of those 25 and 30 goal seasons. And I want you to tell me if you notice anything, okay? Okay. Okay, 9.4%. 11%, Logically, what do you think the next number should be? I don't know, maybe 10%? Right, I would think the same. However, last year, his shooting percentage was 18.2%. Whoa! Yeah, his career shooting percentage is 11.1%, and this was just a good year for him. He had a really good year, and you can't take that away. He performed above everyone's expectations. I think, if anything, what he did is make everyone aware that, yes, there is a 30-goal scorer on the San Jose Sharks, not named Thornton, Marlowe, or Couture. And in that sense, he's a great fantasy option. But if you're going to elevate him to the same status as those players based on one season, I think you're making a mistake. If you look back at his worst season in the last six years, that was in 2010-11. He had 20 goals. His shooting percentage that year was 7.1%. That's about 4% lower than his career average as of today. And he did bounce back. He came back, and he came back to 11.5% the next year, which is right on target. I expect the same thing to happen this year. When things went really well last year, he was shooting 18.2%. I expect he'll go down to about 12% this year. And if he shoots at his career pace this year, he's going to be right on track for 25 goals. And there's actually an excellent article that I will post in the show notes Adam Gretz over at SB Nation did a great job of breaking down the Joe Pavelski situation. And I'm going to quote from him, particularly that Pavelski has a declining ability to generate shots despite playing more minutes per game and still getting more than three and a half minutes of power play time per game. So the thrust of the article was that Pavelski's opportunities are getting more plentiful, but his numbers are not rising in accordance with them. The only one that did is shooting percentage, and that's not sustainable. That's going to regress. So no, Pavelski does not join the list of names worthy of first-rounder keeper selections in my books. Right, so this article was saying that he actually decreased in shots, which is concerning, but he had such a high shooting percentage that he still ended up with a lot more goals. But assuming the shooting percentage regresses, which you'd expect it to do, because as we've said many times before, shooting percentage is based a lot on luck and it tends to go back to the career average, that would mean he's going to score a lot fewer goals. Well, that is a bummer, Brian, because I have him 
in my keeper pool, and I have to decide whether to keep him or not. And I'm pretty sure not all of my competitors listen to keeping Carlson. So if I don't keep him, he'll be grabbed well before I have the chance to take him again, especially because we're having an expansion draft this year for some new teams. Well, that's good. Let them do that. You know, one of my favorite sayings in fantasy hockey is let them make that mistake. I guess. But if he gets 80 points again, I'm going to be yelling at you on a future episode. So that's something our listeners could look forward to. Well, I'm feeling fairly confident that you can probably peg him for about the 60 points that we've come to expect from him in the last six years. There is a chance for sure that he gets up to 65. That's There's a pretty good chance for that. 70 is a bit of a stretch. 80, I still think, is a really large stretch. So, okay, I guess now that we've transitioned to players who... Well, I guess Pavelski hasn't lost keeper status because he never had it. But who has lost keeper status? Who was someone that for the past few years seemed like obvious people to take in the first round or to consider as one of your keepers that now you're not so sure about? I'm actually going to start this list with another pair of players who are always paired together. And it's kind of unfair because we're really just going off one really bad season. But I am afraid it might be a harbinger of bad things to come. I'm talking about Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin on the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, no surprise there. Last year was pretty much a disaster. We're talking like 50, 60 points for the two of these guys. Yeah, Daniel had 47 points in 73 games, only 16 goals. That's his lowest goal total since 2002. Henrik Sedin had... 50 points in 70 games. Okay, so yeah, basically they were both on pace for around 60 points for a full season. Right, and those aren't elite numbers. And just to be fair, we were just talking about Joe Pavelski and how his shooting percentage was so high and it's likely to go down. Well, Daniel Sedin's shooting percentage last year was the lowest of his career. It was 7.1%. His career average is 11.9%. That makes a difference of about 8 or 9 goals. So a 24-25 goal season probably wouldn't have us wondering so much, but even then, he'd still only be at about 55 points. If it seems unfair to throw the Sedins under the bus after one bad season, and again, they kind of operate as a pair. So if Daniel has an offseason season. Henrik is going to have two, and they could both bounce back this year. And what makes me kind of bullish on this is that they will be turning 34 years of age in about two weeks' time. And that makes me nervous, because how many players have bounced back years in their 34-year-old season in the NHL? Not too many. I don't know how well they're going to do. Sure, they could get 60, they could get 70, but is it the elite numbers that make them an automatic first or second round pick or keeper selection? I don't think so anymore. All right. Well, I'm sure for players like this, as opposed to someone like Pavelski, who it's pretty obvious he's going to get picked high because of his numbers last year, it's interesting to think about where Sedins are going to get drafted in most drafts this season. They're clearly going to drop. They're not going to get picked in the first round like they would have in previous years. At what point would you say the Sedins become a steal if people are really undervaluing them? You'd say they're probably good for at least 60 points each? Yeah, so if you could get them, you know, around the same time as, say, Joe Pavelski, I think that would that would be okay. I would say, you know, depending on the size of your league, but if you can get them in the fourth round, I think that might be able to be considered a steal depending on, on who else is available, right? Because there's a lot of pieces in motion with positions and all that. But I would say definitely not first two rounds. Third round might be a bit of a stretch. I'd say the fourth round is probably when, if you want to maximize the value of your pick, is when you can grab them. And yeah, they might outperform some of the players taken in the third round, but I'm not about to put money down on it. Right, and also, especially if we're talking about a keeper league, you know, even if they might have another good year or two left in them, 
you know, you could only expect things to go down as the years go by. Yeah, there's been a lot written about player career arcs and how really, believe it or not, when, when players hit 30, when forwards hit 30, that is when they begin a slow decline. So you can kind of picture where the Sedins are on that career arc and plan accordingly. Oh man, Brian, I'm 31. I'm in my declining years. As a hockey player, yes. <laughs> As a podcast host, I think it's a different arc. Yeah, we're on our way up. Okay, so who's the next player who's lost keeper status that you want to talk about? Well, I was going to say Dan Boyle, but I think he's kind of been left for dead by a lot of people. I, I think everybody already assumes that he's not going to be worth a high pick, which, believe it or not, is good news for you. Last year was miserable. He had 36 points in 75 games, and that's not miserable for a lot of defensemen, but for Dan Boyle, it was the most miserable season since, like, 2001-2002. He's been a steady point producer for a long time, someone who's been dependable, puts up a lot of points on the power play, although in the last three years, his power play production has declined kind of sharply compared to what he was doing at the peak of his career. And we were talking about age with the Cedines. Boyle is four years older. He is 38 years old. He'll be turning 39 next summer. That brings with it a lot of warnings in itself. But what I do like about Boyle is that he's going to a new situation in the Eastern Conference where I think it is a little bit easier to score. And he is probably the second best option that the Rangers have for scoring points from the blue line behind only Ryan McDonough. Aside from... Those two, they don't really have much. They have Girardi, uh, John Moore, Kevin Klein, and Mark Stahl that look like they're sort of floating around the top six. And I don't see any names in there that can challenge Boyle for a spot as a QB on the second power play unit or even a helper on the first power play unit. So I think I'm sending a mixed message and saying, well, he's not keeper status anymore, which we already knew. But in the same breath, I'm also saying, don't undervalue him. He could be a really good late round pick. I think a lot of people are going to avoid him. I don't think he's completely cooked. I think he's still at least a 40-point guy, which puts him in a fairly good position relative to many other D-men who might be drafted before him. Yeah, definitely once you have your keeper defenseman locked up, Dan Boyle seems like a good choice, but definitely not someone to, like you were saying at the top of the segment, not someone to base your hopes on for years to come. And maybe since we're talking about the Rangers and we're talking about the older players in the NHL... What do you think about Martin St. Louis for next year? Last year, he had a, an amazing season, especially considering that he was playing with Stamkos away for so long. And when I say he had an amazing season, I'm talking about the part of the season before he went to the Rangers and sort of disappeared for a while until maybe the last week where he helped me win my hockey pool. But yeah, where do you see Martin St. Louis slotting in on the Rangers? And what do you think his projection should be for next season? Well, I'll come clean as saying that Marty St. Louis is one of the players that I've been fairly consistently wrong about in the last year and a half. So you asking me to project what he's going to do makes me pretty antsy. You've had him as a keeper, I think, for a couple years now. And over that time, I've been saying it's time to cut ties, treat him for someone younger, do something better. And in the end, he tends to keep producing. If we look at last year... With the Lightning, of course, he had 61 points in 62 games. The year before, he had 60 points in 48 games, 74 points. The year before, 99 points. And then, of course, there was his miserable start with the New York Rangers that went pretty much through a fair amount of the playoffs, too, I thought, uh, with eight points in 19 games played at the end of the regular season. I don't know what to expect from Marty St. Louis, except I think I've learned by now not to count him out. 
I'm not going to be the one who picks him in a fantasy draft. But if you're looking for a guy that can probably get you 65 or 70 points, I think it's a safe bet. And I think part of the reason for that is I expect to see him on the top line playing with probably uh, Derek Broussard or Derek Stepan and Rick Nash. And Rick Nash had a, a rough go at it last year. And I do think that this year he's going to be able to bounce back a little bit. And that's going to obviously benefit his line mates. And Marty St. Louis, I think, will be one of those. You know, it's hard to say before any uh, preseason or camp has begun. But that's where I see him slotting in. Yeah, I feel like it's especially hard to project where St. Louis will slot in just because when he got to the Rangers last year, he really jumped around. They were trying to figure out who he would have chemistry with. I remember he was playing with Haglin and Richards at first, and that quickly changed. So it's hard to project what St. Louis is going to be doing exactly there. But I think I agree with you. I'd say around 65, 60 to 65 points is pretty for sure. And then 70 if things go really well. All right, let's move on from the top level elite keeper players that we've been discussing so far. Let's move down a few rounds in the draft now. Let's talk about some players who you think are going to improve over how they did last year. So these are guys who will probably be undervalued in your pool and it's your chance to get a steal with a lower pick than what they're really worth. I'm going to switch things up a little bit here. I'm not going to start with one player. I'm not going to start with two players. I'm going to start with a team. I'm going to start with the Carolina Hurricanes. There are a whole bunch of players who underperformed last year that I think you can target this year in your draft, get them a round or two later than you normally would, and really reap the benefit. So I'm going to rattle off some names, but I'm going to focus on one. Eric Stahl, Alex Semin, Jordan Stahl, and Jeff Skinner, I think all could have had better seasons last year. I think they're all better than their numbers showed last year. And in particular, I think somebody who is most likely to get left behind because of a weird sort of smear on him as as a bad player, as an irresponsible, overplayed, offensive, only lazy player is Alex Semin. He's only one year removed from being a point-per-game player in the lockout-shortened season. He had 44 points in 44 games. And that was actually the third time in his career that he's been a point-per-game player. He's almost been there a couple times. And last year, yeah, was not the best year for him. He had... 42 points in 65 games, but that's still pretty good, right? I think what we would have liked is to have 50 or 55, and I think he can get there this year. Along with Eric Stahl, who really had a bad season by Eric Stahl standards with 61 points in 79 games, his previous eight seasons, he had been at least a 70-point player, uh, usually 80. He even hit 100 way back in 2005. He's turning 30 this year. I don't think that's a big deal. I think he's going to outperform what he was doing last year. And I have my fingers crossed that the same will happen for Jordan Stahl. Jeff Skinner was already turning the corner at the end of last season, as were, I think, some of these guys. But people have more memories of being disappointed by them than seeing them put up a few points towards the end of the year. So if you see these guys starting to slip in your draft, don't follow everybody else and let them slide. I think it's safe to make a play for Jeff Skinner, Eric Stahl, Alex Semin, Jordan Stahl. Maybe you'll get them, like I said, a, a round or two later than you normally would. But don't sleep on them. Just because everybody else is passing up on them doesn't mean you need to also. All right. Well, that's already a great group of potential steals that people should keep their eyes out for as the rounds progress in your pool. Do you have anyone else who fits into this category? Yeah, I think Louis Erickson took a bit of a fantasy beating last year. He had a terrible start, as we detailed on the show, because he was on my team. 
And, you know, the funny thing is that I'd be sort of happy to have him on my team again this year. I don't know if I'd draft him in the first, you know, several rounds as I did last year. But let's not forget, he's a proven 25-30 goal scorer. He did it with Dallas. He only got 10 last year with Boston in 61 games. But that was with a career-low shooting percentage. Actually, check that. His career-low shooting percentage came in his rookie year at 7.7%. Last year, he was shooting about 5% less successfully than he has been over the course of his career. I wouldn't expect that to continue terribly. I don't know if he's going to get back up to 30 I see 2025 is reasonable. So I guess you'd say Erickson could be good for around 60 points next season? Yeah, I think so. I don't know how much Iginla leaving is going to free up any room for him because he's on the left side. But he does also flip to right wing. He usually has multi-position eligibility in your leagues, and that makes him valuable to you. If he plays alongside either Bergeron or Lucic or Krejci and Marchand, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to bounce back, and I don't think... You should undervalue him based on one lousy season with a new team. All right. Well, there are a few forwards that might be potential steals in your pool. How about on defense? Are there any defensemen who maybe didn't have a great season last year, but you expect that they should be able to bounce back? I think all of our listeners from last year will know my instant reflexive answer to this one. And I think it's yours too, Elon, from the Winnipeg Jets. Number 39, Tobias Enstrom. He had a really rough season last year. We both picked him up expecting him to bounce back. He had a few strong games towards the end of the year, but he still was only able to finish with 30 points in 82 games. And for a defenseman like him, you know, who isn't putting up, say, a lot of shot blocks or penalty minutes or high plus minus, that really hurts because he's kind of a, a one or two stat guy and it's the offensive stats. And if he's not producing there, he's not worth it to your team. However, I honestly, I I don't know what went wrong. I still don't know what went wrong with him. But the important thing is that I still believe he had a 38-point rookie season way back with the Thrashers. He followed that with 32 points. But after that, he had 50 points in 82 games, 51 points in 72 games, and kind of has maintained a a 40 to 50-point pace in, in all his seasons since. That's why I expect him to get back to that this year. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, he can't do much worse. And if he's going to be a top minute and power play minute defenseman on Winnipeg, I also agree that you should expect him to get at least 35, 40 points. And maybe he even has upside for more if things could turn around. And the other defenseman that I think will see a better year this year, although I don't think it's a secret, and I think he'll be a pretty hot item in your draft despite his performance last year, is Christian Erhoff, newly signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's on a one-year contract, so some people might be inclined to say, oh, he's got to prove it, he's, he, he's playing for his next contract. That's not really how I think. I think that a player who put up 33 points in 79 games with the Buffalo Sabres, who were like historically bad at driving possession, at taking shots, at scoring goals, historically awful. Then as a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have some historically great players on their roster, he'll be able to beat that number. And he also won't have an ugly minus 27 hanging on him for leagues that count plus minus. I think he'll still see a fair power play role. I think he's going to either challenge or overtake Chris Letang occasionally as the power play quarterback. And I just don't think things can go too wrong for Erhoff. If you remember when he was in Vancouver playing with very talented players, he had 50 points, 44 points. Expect to see him I hope, back around there this year. Yeah, I agree. I feel like anyone in a league with somewhat savvy players 
won't be able to get Erhoff too deep. I think that, like you said, the secret's sort of out that this guy is good and he was just on a weak team. And now that he's going to Pittsburgh, you should expect him not only to go back to a more reasonable result, you'd expect him to even go higher. Because with Pittsburgh, you usually see these players get a bump because Pittsburgh scores so many goals. So definitely he is primed to make a jump to one of the more elite fantasy defensemen and definitely worth your pick. And now I guess let's again shift gears. Let's go to the more Pavelski-like players, which are people who Brian thinks won't be able to do as well as they did last year. Who do you think is going to decrease next year and should maybe be people you let other people take with their high picks? First player who I think you need to perhaps knock down a few notches in your expectations is Valtteri Filpula, who finally, finally, quote-unquote, broke through in the mainstream, anyway, I mean, he, he was a couple of years removed from having 66 points in 81 games as a member of the Red Wings. But I think in the three seasons prior to that, he'd probably disappointed so many fantasy pulleys who kept waiting for him to be, you know, that next Scandinavian Red Wings star. Moving to Tampa Bay helped him. But I think one number that people aren't looking at that generally is a good one to look at to see if a player's play is unsustainable or sustainable is their shooting percentage. We've referenced it several times this show, and we're going to again right now with Valtteri Filipula. He shot 19.1% through the season last year. That's about 5.5 percentage points higher than his career average, and I won't expect him to duplicate it again this year. I would expect to see him maybe drop down maybe 10 points, and I hope that's fair to him because I still think he's a productive and skilled player. And there's a lot of moving parts on Tampa, so it, it's hard to really say what's going to happen with JT Brown and Tyler Johnson and Andres Palat and Alex Killorn and... Well, Druin now. And Ryan Callahan. I mean, there are so few guys on Tampa that I know in their forward ranks, where they're going to slot, that it's hard to really predict what kind of situation Phil Pula is going to find himself in. But I think as a starting point, it's good to consider that perhaps he's going to drop down to, you know, being a 45, 50 point player. And I think that's that's a good scenario for him. I think if you're expecting any more, you're going to be disappointed. If you're expecting less, that might also be fair and allow yourself to be pleasantly surprised if he, if he hits those marks. The next one is Nick Benino, and to be honest, I, I don't know what a lot of the hype is surrounding him. Maybe it's exciting for him to go into a Canadian market. He did kind of come out of nowhere last year. He, he scored 22 goals and 27 assists for 49 points in 77 games with Anaheim, and his shooting percentage looked reasonable. But I don't think you can really expect to, to see the same sort of thing from him. I, when I watch him, I'm not totally convinced that he's a skilled player who can consistently put up 50 or 55 points even. I see him more as a half point per game kind of player, 40 point a game. And, and, and things are going to be rough in Vancouver. There aren't a ton of guys to play with at the moment. And unless he's on that top line with the Sedins, I wouldn't expect to see a whole lot from him. I think he, like a lot of other young ducks, sort of had a coming out party and that was great last season. Happy for him, but I'm not going to get caught up in the hype and draft him too early this year. Yeah, I guess there's that one Canuck that everyone's thinking is the sleeper pick of the year, which is Verbata, who we already talked about last week. I agree with you. I don't think Benino is someone who you would take higher than like the last couple of rounds of your pool. Since you mentioned Anaheim, I am kind of curious to get your quick, quick opinion on Danny Heatley, who some people are saying might be in line for a bump next year since he might get some time with Getzlaff and Perry. What do you think about Danny Heatley? Is there any reason to draft him next year in maybe the last round? No. <laughs> 
That's it? That's it. You made that mistake last year. You drafted him like what, sixth or seventh round? And, and and you had to keep him on your team because you put that much value and eventually you if I remember right, you accepted that your costs were sunk and you cut ties and you were better off for it. Alright, so we're forgetting about Heatley. <laughs> Keep an eye, okay? If he's on the first line on Anaheim, just watch. But maybe don't draft him. Let someone else draft him. If he doesn't get drafted, maybe watch. I really dislike going after, and we might have talked about this in the last couple of weeks, going after the third piece of a first line, you know, where two players are set and, and looking for that number three. I hate it, and I don't like Danny Heatley either. So those two factors combined, no. Okay. All right, so do you have anybody else on your list of players that people might be ranking high, but you would tend to avoid, at least at that high position? Yeah, I'll just mention quickly Gustav Nyquist, and I'm going to remind everyone again that, that he's 25 years old. So we're not looking at the same career arc as we would be if he were a rookie. He's spent a lot of time in the Wings farm system. And he finally came up and did great, 28 goals, including a whole bunch in a short amount of time in 57 games. So he was averaging half a goal a game, which is really great. He was also shooting at at a fairly unsustainable pace. There's a chance that he could see an increased role with the Red Wings, which would bump up his shot totals, which would help account for a regression in his shooting percentage. But for now, I'd let someone else take the risk on Gustav Nyquist. If it's a keeper league, that makes it a little more difficult because, yeah, if he does step into like a Zetterberg Datsuk kind of thing, then that's a big mistake. And he's shown enough for long enough in the AHL to, I think, convince many people that he will be more than a serviceable NHLer. I'm just not ready yet. I'd like to see what he does in sort of a normal year by my standards and wait on that before making any long-term decisions on drafting him. I'm not saying he's a bad pick, but I am saying that I think a lot of people are overrating him this year, and you can probably get a better player in the same round that he's drafted in by somebody else. Well, yeah, guys like Nyquist, I think in general when a player has a huge hot streak. It doesn't really matter what they did before or after that. Going into the next year's draft, people are going to remember, oh man, I remember Nyquist was so hot and I wanted him, but someone else had snagged him. And now I regret I'm not going to make that mistake again. And I think that's going to bump up his value. So yeah, I think that I agree with you. Nyquist will probably be taken in the fourth or fifth round and maybe you'll be able to get someone more reliable in that position. All right, let's do one more player who you think is going to be overvalued in drafts, but you should probably let drop a bit. That player is Matt Niskanen. He had a breakout season last year, which is weird because it was like his eighth full year in the NHL. Uh, 46 points in 81 games played with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's now on a new team, the Washington Capitals. And with the Penguins, he was seeing kind of favorable deployments, meaning he wasn't seeing super tough competition and he was seeing a fair amount of offensive zone starts. And to be honest, I just don't know what's going to happen with the Capitals. I don't necessarily trust that they're going to use all their players in the right way, judging by what they did in free agency when they signed Brooks Orpik and Matt Niskanen to fairly large contracts. I just don't have a lot of faith that Matt Niskanen has transformed from, you know, the 20 to 30 point defenseman he's been his whole career to suddenly being, you know, a 45 point guy. I think everybody's excited. But remember, Pittsburgh is, is a high offense team. And it's not to say Washington isn't. Uh, it's just to say that maybe conditions were very favorable and he was able to take advantage of them. And perhaps it won't be the same situation in Washington for him this year. I would stay pretty far away from him and... And let someone else take him? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, we've talked about a lot of players this week. And I'm sure if I was a listener, I'd want 
us to just keep going. But, you know, we got to save something for next time. I don't want the episodes to be too long. So we're going to cut it here. I'm going to tell you the plan for next episode, though, which will hopefully be out in a week. We're planning on doing a whole big rundown of goalies. So we're going to talk about all the goalies, including the tandems and who you want to take and who you want to avoid. And we'll also talk about some sleeper picks, guys who might not get drafted in your pool, but you might want to grab them the last round or two. That's the plan moving forward. Brian, you also wanted to mention something about a new website that's out. Two websites, actually. So as we all unfortunately know, Extra Skater is long gone as a resource for us to be able to look at advanced stats in an easy way for players. And and sites like Behind the Net and Hockey Analysis and Hockey Reference are all still around. But there's two new ones that are trying to make it as easy as it was on Extra Skater for you to learn about and do your own research regarding players' advanced stats. And I'm going to mention them now. The first is war-on-ice.com and the other is progressivehockey.com. I'm just starting to play around with them now. Maybe in a couple weeks I can give you a little more details about what each one has to offer, but for now I can direct you to those websites. Go take a look. They're a little rough around the edges at this point, but I have been watching and they are improving daily. So keep an eye on those if you are looking for advanced stats. All right, yeah, and we'll link to those along with the episode on our website at KeepingCarlson.com. So let's cue that outro music. And Brian, why don't you tell our listeners about the resources that we've used to research the show? I just mentioned a bunch, but I'll do it again. Hockey analysis, hockey reference, war on ice, progressive hockey. And of course, we are presented by Daily Faceoff. We use their tools regularly for the show, and you should for your own fantasy draft preparation. And your league throughout the year over at dailyfaceoff.com. All right, well, definitely write to us at Keeping Carlson on Twitter, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Let us know what you think, and we'll catch you all next week. <laughs>